0: Welcome to Empathy Always Wins. This is Ali Salama, and I am really excited to be presenting to you the world's youth and leadership. Did I just say youth and leadership? The world's youth leadership and wellness slash mental health podcast, whereby we just dive into issues, not really issues, we just dive into conversations that really stimulate us. And I truly believe every conversation here that You know, that makes it to this show and that makes it on air. It's a conversation that, you know, I wish perhaps when I was a little bit younger, I had or I was stimulated by, you know, a thought process that maybe would have made me thought, you know what? Yeah, I would have done very well with that. I mean, I'm a book geek and I really love podcasts because they allow me to feel a little bit more intimate and deep. You know, sometimes you can really feel energy, and I feel that when I record these, at least before I put them out, I ask myself, am I in the right place to put something out for someone to listen to? Uh, Because if I'm not, then there's no point. This lives on forever. And, you know, you might think it puts a little bit of pressure on me, but this is how I check in with myself to know that this is something that... uh, you know, you'd put a check mark on. Yes, it serves the purpose of why we created the show. And it's not a fulfilled deadline. And it's something I live by. So this episode is actually going to be an interview of me back in February 2020. It was actually recorded on February 8th on a show that no longer exists. So I thought of sharing it with you. Uh, the show is called The Curious Leader. And um, I thought it was a very good episode and I'd love to share it with you guys. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, And it's such a new way of introducing an episode, but uh, feel free to send me your feedback. Um, And it's absolutely crazy to see how uh, one person can develop uh, in a span of, I believe, 10 months. Um, This is a little bit about me. Uh, when I got interviewed earlier on this year, and I really hope you enjoy it and can take something out of it. So with that being said, let's dive deeper into this episode.
1: All right, I am super excited to have a very special guest. His name is Ali Salama. He was born in Cairo. He's an artist, entrepreneur, and mental health ambassador with a former career in professional swimming. But then he decided to focus on his mental health, writing, and music. His team founded EmpowerMag.com, the first mental health magazine in the Middle East, winning Harvard's top seven most impactful social initiatives in 2019 and earning recognition from the World Health Organization. He hosts the podcast Empathy Always Wins, the world's exclusive youth leadership podcast focusing on empathy and community building. He currently resides in Toronto, and his main goal this year is to be the global mental health ambassador. So, Ali, thank you so much for coming on the show. No,
0: it's absolutely my pleasure.
1: Thank you, Jesse, for having me. Yeah, I am super privileged because over the past few weeks, I've done some extensive, fairly extensive research on you. You have quite an interesting background, considering that you were a athlete before, a professional athlete. And then now you're focusing your efforts and your energy on um, the world's focus on mental health. So I wanted to just start off with that. Can you start off with yeah. how you got into the mental space the mental health space um
0: that's great um so how i got into the mental health space was it's kind of crazy i actually say that um again i'll I'll, uh i know we spoke about this a little bit off the record but yeah it's how everything just happened in one year and uh, typically so and what do i mean by that i mean that i we started first of all it was a personal experience that drove this this isn't this is out of a very deep and personal struggle where you know i was considering mm-hmm. a lot uh, of self-harm and suicidal thoughts at one point in my life mm-hmm. um, after a phase of thinking i was kind of like you know this alpha macho masculine male mm-hmm. type of figure mm-hmm. uh, because of uh, me reaching heights and in, in my professional career and i was a swimmer and you know typically swimmers we i, I, would, I would train 11 uh, not 11 10 times a week mm-hmm. um, and it, yeah, we wake up four a.m. So it was that type of life. And that was me all the way from grade two to grade 12. So you 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 sort of develop that sense of sort of self-confidence. But you almost think I never believed in mental health before I before I, I got diagnosed. Um, but 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 I'd like to just sort of jump back a little bit because I decided to start Empower Magazine. Um, from my bedroom here in Toronto on the 1st of March 2019, mm. and this is, as as of the date of our recording right now, we're February 28th, 2020. We're like three days away from that, and it's absolutely crazy mm. to think that um, at the time that I was launching the magazine, learning how to like code WordPress and and knowing how to, you know, structure everything together, I would have not thought in a million years I would be the person I am today speaking on the largest, you know, platform, uh, youth Arab platform in Canada and being just uh, on, on a phone call with the Harvard Arab Conference today with, with, with an opportunity to, to hopefully speak and not become a team lead volunteer empowering some of the smartest minds in the world. And I just want to say that this message is, is, is powerful in the sense that it's way bigger than myself because hmm. many people, um, go through the struggle that, that I personally went through. Um, and it's not, my story isn't unique at all. I think what really makes this story unique was the comeback and, 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 and the, and the feeling that, you know, this is not the end when it feels like that.
1: Got it. Wow. So did you initially want to be a professional athlete? Was this something that your parents or your friends or your peers that push you to do that? Or, yeah. Talk about that transition from the swimming world to the mental health.
0: Yeah. Um, I actually didn't. I, I, I hated swimming. Mm. I uh, My mom, I was a very high energy type of guy. And so actually the day I didn't swim, I would cause a lot of problems at home. Mm. And so my mom actually forced me to swim when I was younger. And subsequently I became very talented because, you know, my mom always says, Ali, you're 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 someone that always likes to be wow in whatever you do. Mm. And she always would tell me, Ali, you like, you love to shine. And I think that that was why I became good at swimming. Not necessarily because I liked it, but Mm. necessarily because it was something that I was forced to do and I had no other option but to really be good at it because I hated not being in control of um, not Feeling that I can be good at something that I was gonna do anyway, so I might as well do it to my best and feel like I'm I've accomplished something, and that really m- developed, of course, subconsciously the the winning sort of mentality or the competitiveness, as you say, because I wasn't ever the sort of person to succumb to anything that would uh, that I was forced to in my life, like mm. moving to. For example, I I, I I needed to be here because I knew this country was going to give me a great opportunity and applying for the citizenship. Um, and it's just because of my dad. I could have gone to the UK because I was I, I was always been a British curriculum school. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I, the thing that I learned as a leader right now is... And being a leader, you actually, you are a leader before you are a leader as a follower. It's that sense of accountability Mm -hmm. that I had when I was younger, knowing that, okay, maybe I don't have the choice right now. But one day, when I do have the choice, I'll make sure that I don't do this. But I didn't know at the time, in hindsight, that that gave me so much power and knowing that I, can, I can't control what I can do right now, but I can take ownership and I can actually do it to the best of my ability. And that transferable skill set, that mindset was then implemented in everything that i ever done in my life.
1: Mm-hmm. So in other words, you don't necessarily, you, you won't take that time back. You don't regret your years that you've poured into the swimming world.
0: Not at all. My mom was actually, uh, me and my mom were talking like a, a week back. And she was like, Ali, remember when you told when I told you one day you'll thank me? Because I mm-hmm. used to wake up in like 5 a.m. and like scream and, and like cry to her. I'm like, why do you <laughs> do this?
2: Yeah.
0: Why are yeah. you being so like, like strict and like why oh, because i i would want to sleep you know she would wake me up with like sometimes a cup of water and like you know like ali this is it you're, you're gonna come down i'm waiting for you done and if you weren't my mom was i was a was a primary school teacher as well. so mm-hmm. we had like very strict like punishments if i didn't do things so that mm-hmm. was yeah um so again i i don't regret it at all and i thank her right now because when i look at myself and i look at other people the only reason why i am where i am is uh, because of that um, accountability and all the factors that we've just
1: discussed in the last couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it a particularly difficult pill to swallow when you told your friends or family that you were switching from being a professional athlete to being becoming a mental health ambassador? Were they Were there questions about what that actually meant for you? What does that look like from a day-to-day perspective? How was that transition when you were telling your your peers about it?
0: it's funny because um in 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 retrospect uh actually no one knew that that happened um and i'll tell you how because when i moved to canada Mm -hmm. i uh first of all i moved here when i was 17. my coach had died um Mm -hmm. back home and i decided that i wasn't going to um, to just swim. It wasn't something that I I had to tell anyone. I was just, you know, part of the change and a part of the transition was just me not deciding to do whatever. And at the time, I just never knew that I was going to be a freaking mental health ambassador. And I say that sometimes things happen in life. And when you feel a very, um, strong and powerful urge, a call to action you feel deeply about something, the environment, something you care about, and you're seeing people not fully utilizing their voice in the way you believe you can utilize yours. Mm-hmm. That's when you know that's your calling. And that's when you know you just have to take the step further, the step um, forward and, and and take that on yourself and then build a team. But of course, I had never actually made that transition initially, as per your question, because I actually never thought that... Um, mm-hmm. That, that I would be an ambassador, and, and in fact, I actually have a, a CrossFit um, L1 trainer's um, certificate. Uh, I don't know what we're even meant to call, but it's. I was always gonna wanting to be someone that wanted to empower other people, whether it was through mental health or whether it was through whatever, because I always saw that helping people and my emotional side was the most um, predominant side of me, which is why I actually struggled a lot moving in that culture shock because. I had no one to share my life with. I, I found it very hard to navigate here, and as a man, we don't think that we need like connections, and we think that, oh, like mm. me coming here when I was 17, you know, I could do this, I, I swam in this, I swam in that. I, I'm, I'm so confident in myself. But until you realize your innate needs as a human being, mm. that everything else, no matter who you are, Prince Harry, whatever, you, no matter how much wealth you have, you will su- suffer if you do not serve your human um, your human instinct when that connection.
1: yeah yeah so when it comes to mental health what are some of the predominant issues that you see today especially for our generation the younger generation i'm sure social media is, is being talked about a lot the negative impacts of that what else are we dealing with right now and what are some steps that we can take to proactively address those
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Very, very, very good question. Well, men are dealing with a big, big, big problem of uh, vulnerability. And women are dealing with a big, big, big problem, which is self-image, like body image stuff. And uh, I think that when we look at, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, of course, like looking at it from a very high level, um, sort of analysis, not, that's not per- pertain to every single man and woman. But this is the what, what, what we majority, what we mat- for the majority of the purposes, this is what we struggle from. Men mm-hmm. aren't. Um, are feeling comfortable, feeling vulnerable, expressing themselves in a time where, you know, ex- self-expression is at its absolute optimum to be social media, TikTok, whatever. All the kids out there are making ex- incredible content on YouTube, whatever. And women are feeling that, of course, that they're targeted by all those, you know, great-looking bodies and, unfortunately, that set and a false sense of idealistic standard. And uh, we, we fall prey to that because of uh, really big budgets spent and agendas that really do not serve the bigger, the bigger, the bigger purpose. And mm-hmm. technically, that's that's what's causing a lot of issues, as well as of course the intergenerational um, uh, uh, gap. We have never seen the change. Uh, we have never seen a gap so large mm-hmm. between families, between generations, between mothers and kids, in such a short period of time. And what that means is that in 10 years technology revolutionized the way we communicate the way we live life and that rapid transformation has never been so rapid in the history of mankind mm-hmm. we interact differently we live differently we be we, we search for relationships differently whether it be tinder or like really probably decent web like other websites mm-hmm. um we have options that we've never had and we do not need to be in front of people 24/7 and things aren't like they used to be before so if you were born in the 1960s and and you had to live through the 1990s it was relatively the same of course the technological advancements had their own you know impact on your life but it was nowhere compared to being born in the 2000s and and and, and living in the 2014 2013 growing mm-hmm. up as a Nature. That, that growing up here versus growing up there was completely different, and that causes a lot of disconnect between parents because it's so hard to be empathetic, to be understanding of mm-hmm. people's struggles and needs because with all the technological advancements, now kids are experiencing a totally different world that our parents experienced as kids growing up that wasn't so different from their parents growing up, uh-huh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Even if we had a phone call, even if we, even if our parents or my mom had a phone call or like a, a, a telephone in her house, her mother may not have had a telephone. Her mother may have had like some sort of other way of communication but it was never as vast as a WhatsApp that could reach to you instantly uh-huh. and group you could be part of that can completely change the way you you feel 24-7 with anxiety and all these things. You know, Things were accessible in our parents' day and age, but they weren't transformational in the same way that they are right now. And that's causing a lot of issues because – As we know, we love to be heard, seen, and loved, and connected. And this is taking a lot of our attention. And unfortunately, the divide between us and our parents, Hmm. not having that sense of understanding, creates a lot of pain. That Hmm. is...
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the change is inevitable it's gonna happen it's already happening how do we go about addressing that is it just a matter of being I think to alluding to your podcast empathy always wins Is that what your message is about? Talk about that podcast as well. Yeah,
0: Um, so here's the thing. Um, When I uh, went to speak at the World Health Organization, when I had the internship at RBC, uh, Mm -hmm. which was actually in July, I I, I graduated, well, I finished school in May. Uh, I had an internship till September. In July, I found myself being invited to the World Health Organization, and and that March in Mm -hmm. 2019, I just founded the Middle East Mental Health Magazine, and that was a huge bump. I'll get, I'll get towards why I actually have a show called Empty Always Win but it's it's very important to understand when things took off the region didn't support I did not have a single dollar by any corporation in the Middle East to support mental health yes they said this is a great cause what not we have to have that but no one was willing to put dollars into it and mm. people don't the advocacy costs money mm. yes I am an ambassador but no one told me that as an ambassador I need to be a great marketer because hmm. a great marketer understands their target audience. To be able to be and reach to people's hearts, I needed to be able to understand what they're struggling from. That's what doctors don't do. That's why some, sometimes we may have the best doctors in the world, but still have zero connection with patients because they're great at medicating and and, and solving people's issues. But the problem is way bigger than a medical problem. It's a social problem. And when you have social problems, you have to have the same stance uh, or the same level of education uh, as when you're having a business problem that needs much more of an in-depth analytical level of insights. And that's what I didn't know I was signing up for as a mental health ambassador. I always say that I never knew that I had to be a great marketer in Mm. signing up. advocate for mental health. And what that meant was when I didn't get any dollars and I was accessing the world, some of the most renowned world leaders, I knew that the Middle East, without naming any countries, of course, they weren't going to accept, quote unquote, mental health, but they were going to accept empathetic leadership. And they were going to accept that empathy always wins as a concept that is maybe a little bit different, but it's a leadership podcast. So I'll I'll digest it. I'm not going to call it mm. mental health because it just gives people chills and they automatically just close and shut their ears. So mm. I called it empathy always wins because I needed to target those global leaders to listen mm. and and I don't even mention mental health in the podcast. I talk about having great communities, building great culture and yeah. having a, a great quality life with and deploying empathetic leadership. And guess what happens when you do that? You automatically have great mental health and well-being. Yeah. So have to really, and as a marketer, first and foremost, this is what I mean by harnessing the power of understanding um, the, the landscape as a whole, whether it be in the Middle East, Egypt, Dubai, London, wherever that may be, understand how the market is going, understand what world leaders are, put, how they make their decisions, because even if you believe in something even if your community believes in something if the if the the person sitting as a chairman on the board who is a decision maker does not believe in it unfortunately this is the world we live in the decision is never going to be made the check is never going to be written so you have to talk in their language and walk their walk Mm, mm, mm.
1: so it requires an extreme amount of self-awareness but also awareness of your audience understanding your audience that reminds me it's very strategic that you did not include the words mental health. Is that also because there's this stigma towards mental health currently, especially probably in the Middle East and maybe uh, more a lot across the globe, but I think in the US it's getting more open, we're more open to that idea. But can you talk about the stigma and how we become less um, against and less defensive towards this idea?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question, Jesse. Um, kudos uh, on you for that um, You know, in, in a country like Dubai, for example They have a happiness minister mm-hmm. I think you know, they do have a the minis- the, uh, uh, happiness minister
1: What's a happiness w- minister?
0: The happiness minister is the person is, is. I think she's a woman right now Like, don't quote me on that yeah. uh, But also yeah. don't cut it out of the podcast Because I, I may be wrong, I may be right um, But she or he or they are responsible for making sure that consumers are happy um, in the way that, that, like, they give people living in Dubai from a consumer standpoint and from a business standpoint, employees' mm-hmm. rights. And, and and you know what? That's just like a wellness minister. But until we have the audacity and I don't critique Dubai at all. In fact, I love the UAE. But until we have the, uh, I, like, I, I at one point, I have friends and I, I used to stay there for a while. Until we have the audacity to start calling these titles mental wellness mm-hmm. and mental mm-hmm. health, this is where we will open the conversation because many people don't even know what mental health means. Mm-hmm. Many people don't even know that they have mental health. Mm-hmm. Mental health is health. Mental health is something that everything has. Mental illness is what some people do not have. And mental illness is what everyone is susceptible towards. And that is the concept I never understood before I started my advocacy work, is that one in five people around the world are struggling from a mental illness. That is a that is a disease that disrupts the way they function cognitively. And by cognitively, I mean function normally as a normal human being in their life. That's something that disrupts their everyday life. Something that they need to adopt, adapt their lifestyle towards, which is quite, quite frankly, shocking. Because we're more than a billion people, and uh, you know what. In a region like the Middle East, we have zero data. I, when I spoke at the World Health Organization, they—no one even knows the rate of suicides in the Middle East.
2: Hmm. It's,
0: it's so underreported that you know, when someone says a number, I, I, I typically laugh. I'm like, "You have no, idea what you're saying because it's typically like 100 or 200
1: times more." And I kid you not.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: What are, what does it mean to be mentally healthy? I know you touched upon that it doesn't disrupt. Like, you may have mental illness if it disrupts your lifestyle, but for people like you and me, we, those are maybe the extreme cases. But I know what's prevalent today is things like depression. You mentioned suicide amongst the younger generation. I'm from South Korea, and South Korea has one of the highest suicide rates as well. Can you talk about suicide, any other mental health problems that are prevalent today, and how we can address those?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, again, what is mental health? Mental health is a spectrum. You know, um, We're not always going to be mentally healthy, just as we're not always going to be in best physical form, right? Mm-hmm. You sometimes put on weight, you sometimes lose weight. And the difference is that I like to really sort of tell people um, that love to know a little bit more about mental health. It's kind of like there's a big scene happening in the, in the world you know life coaching and coaches and like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a million it's a billion dollar business like mm-hmm. the industry, sorry. Um, coaching that is great but how do you again distinguish a coach from a from a mental health professional and why i'm saying this on the show is cuz i feel it's so important for people to understand mm-hmm. because everyone that seeks a coach I assume, and probably you would assume the same, that they want to live a better quality life, right? Mm -hmm. They want to be mentally healthy. So that's just like the same analogy as me and you going to a trainer, right? We want to look better. We go to a personal trainer at the gym because we want to like have a better physique. But if you got injured in a football tackle, Mm -hmm. you sprained your ankle, and it's severely sprained, like you can't walk on it, will you go to a trainer or will you go to a physiotherapist? A Probably physiotherapist, physio. who's aimed on the um, on the anatomy of the body, who's actually got a degree on that, who spent his his or her life educating themselves on how the body best functions. Hmm. I'm not saying that the personal trainer isn't equipped to do that. Of course, maybe they could have their own self study and they maybe they could be great. But typically, the difference between a physio and a trainer is the is the same damn difference between a life coach and a psychotherapist in other terms a therapist or a mental health professional mm-hmm. and of course a psychiatrist is someone that who is a doctor that that isn't a social worker a therapist is a social worker is someone that is graduated from understanding how social human beings connect mm-hmm. a psychiatrist is someone that studies the neurology of the brain that is a major distinguishing difference between a psychologist a psychiatrist because a psychologist is someone that also could have a doctorate degree, but a doctorate degree in social sciences, right? That is this that is completely different from being a a, a a mere um life coach because you know, this is something a lot of people do struggle from. And how do you how do you how do you your other part of the question and I hope I'm answering it on the right lines here without kind of going in, in circles around mm-hmm. suicide suicide is a big 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 I think it's the, one of the leading causes uh, of deaths in the world um, I, I do believe it's like, kind of like the third or the second
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, how do we pre- prevent suicide? first of all we need to be able to be comfortable talking about suicides right mm. there's, a, there's a there's a very um, renowned certification that you can um, that you can first and foremost uh, apply and, and get and it's kind of like the first uh, mental health first aid certificate it's called assist. And what ASSIST is, um, I don't quite know the acronym of ASSIST, mm-hmm. but it, it basically prevents, uh, it helps you to prevent suicidal um, incidents that are more prone to happen during uh, a, a mental health crisis. Um, so what is San's like Intervention Skills Training? That is a, one of the best trainings in the world that can help you intervene during a crisis and, uh, and and help prevent that but just to really sum up something I learned from my mental health first aid course is that you have to be able to ask someone hmm. are you thinking of suicide or not because that sometimes I and mean, that first and foremost breaks the cycle of someone even if they say no, and they're thinking about it, you automatically point something out you can tell in their body language and everything changes then. But if you start cookie cluttering it and, you know, are you feeling like you're going to self harm? No, no, no. You have to mention the word. And uh, you know what? I I wish I did the ASSIST, uh, the Applied Suicide Interventional Skills Training, but I haven't. And I I would love to talk more, perhaps, on another episode or another time. But I think suicide is something that we need to all pay attention to because, um, you know what, 13 Reasons Why the Show Didn't Happen just... For making money, hmm. it's 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 very evident. The success of Thirteen Reasons Why was hmm. due to the same emotions people feel during high school, during adolescence, during hmm. a very hard time where leaders, young promising leaders, have their minds completely in in, in, in a state of crisis because of the social pressures that we face now. It, it's hmm. we're not having times like our parents where it was if you know you weren't drinking, you weren't doing that. Things are right in your face 24-7. And I don't think parents are equipped to deal with that level of, of upbringing to, to harness and cultivate strong, incredibly strong personalities. And I think that it takes a really incredible person to raise a really incredible um, a, a daughter or son or individual in today's day and age. It's very hard. And that's why empathy yeah. as a leader is extremely important because you can't do anything but empower people and offer them open spaces to come up to you and say, Hey dad, Hey mom, this happened. And I don't feel less of less of a man say, tell, saying that because i You've made me feel safe. Hmm. And what? Instead of dealing with it myself, I feel that together as a family, we're so strong. And this is what's going to make me a leader tomorrow. Or this is what's going to make me a person that is confident enough to showcase my talents and my skill sets and shine in this world. Hmm. No matter how you define shining.
1: Hmm. Hmm. That's, that's really good I, I want to go back to your analogy about when someone's an athlete and they get injured so do you propose whenever someone goes through a life crisis for example a death in the family a uh, a loss in the family a breakup a divorce do you recommend folks to seek a psychologist psychiatrist in those moments or does do people have different processes do they do people process suffering differently um, yeah how how is there a panacea, is there a procedure that people should take, steps one, two, three, when dealing with life circumstances such as those?
0: Yeah, I think that's a, it, it's a question that uh, is very introspective in the sense that people deal with trauma or grief or or incidences that, that may be a little bit um, sort of, uh, Unusual. Let's just put it that way. People deal with it differently. So, for example, I had never experienced grief as a mature man. But my granddad died on the the 5th of January here, on the 6th in Egypt. And he died very instantly. I mean, I was sitting working on my laptop and I get a call from my mom. Because me and my mom are extremely close and she's probably the source of all the work and the heart that I, I, I have and have become. Hmm. She called straight away telling me your granddad just slipped on the stairs. He has internal bleeding and there's probably less than 5% chance that you'll ever see him again and he's bleeding out and he's in the ICU. And I was just numb. I did not know how to experience or do what to do. I was just on a call with him the, the week before and I had just seen him two weeks prior being in Egypt having a conversation with them. And that made me very, 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 very uncomfortable. Um, Hmm. But didn't see a therapist. Uh, I would say that I have built a great support system. I called one of my best friends and I just blanked out. Um, And I remember because she kept calling me that day asking me, are you all right? Are you all right? And then I was like, hey, I'm going to call you back. Please give me my space. Be sure that if anything, um, I will, I will I will ask for help. You see, that is the way I deal with I deal with that. I dealt with that. But I was someone living by myself, and I actually went to see a friend that day as well, and we spoke about it, and I felt very much better, um, and I did not fly back home, even though I, I offered the ticket. Um, other people may have felt that they needed to speak to a professional, that they don't feel comfortable talking to people about that. The thing that I want to put out is that while there is no fit way to deal with grief or trauma, you have to know it's okay to seek professional help. I am a man and so are you. And it is okay to seek help and talk about your emotional well-being because at the moment, Mm. the people that are thriving in life are the people that understand that their emotions, and their emotional intelligence is the driving force behind their success. Dealing with and drinking, and drinking and, or even over-exercising like what I did when I was younger, running to the gym before I even went at home mm. after school. I never had a relationship in high school because I was so insecure about my body. But running to the gym, over-exercising, dealing with things in other ways other than actually facing them, that's going to hinder you in your life. So while there is no absolute one fit-for-all solution,
2: mm-hmm. please
0: stand that seeking help mm. is something... Never go wrong with. And mm. I'm very honored and glad that I have you know, the World Federation for Mental Health president who is the, one of the most renowned doctors in the Middle East as my mentor who I can pick up the phone, the phone and call. But that is no different than anyone in the world listening to this show thinking that they, uh, because I have that privilege, that they can't also see someone or, or, or express themselves. It doesn't have to be a therapist. Build your support system if you do not feel that you're comfortable enough seeking support. Mm, mm. Support,
1: support. Yeah, yeah. That's very that's very valuable advice. I was curious, Ali, just to learn more about you. You've obviously accomplished a lot. I believe you're about twenty-four, young twenties. It's awesome that you're grinding. You're you're such a hardworking person. You're obviously very passionate. I was curious because the podcast is titled The Curious Leader Podcast. How has the theme, the idea of curiosity, served you to achieve this quote unquote success with the Empower Mag, with you being a mental health ambassador. Has curiosity served you in any way in this space? And if so, like how? Yeah, so that's, uh, I I think Albert Einstein
0: was the person that I I really admire when he said, Yeah, I think something around curiosity was, Mm -hmm. and please quote me on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, he has a few quotes on curiosity. I think one of them that I remember is, he says something, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, I'm not smart, I'm merely curious, or I stick with the questions longer than other people, something along those lines. Is that what you're thinking about, Ali? 100%, 100%.
0: 100%, 100%. So I was born on the 16th of September, 1996. I'm turning 24. I'm 23 right now. Like, Yeah, 23 and a half, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I think the age is just a number. I think that 15-year-olds are going to build million-dollar companies in, in 10 years. Um, I think that with the data that we can have access, when you think of who is actually running platforms and actually utilizing social media to its utmost potential, they're young kids. And what does that mean? That means that young kids know how to navigate and read data way better than CMOs of companies that have done this for years.
2: Uh,
0: That is a mind boggling fact. And what that means is while I said I'm born on the 16th of September, 1996, that means nothing at all. Uh, Absolutely nothing. Um, Sorry, what was the second part of your question?
1: Curiosity, right? Yeah, how has curiosity served you thus far in your work in the mental health space?
0: I think what bothered me the most was when I went through what I went through um, and I was diagnosed with clinical depression and and, and identity crisis, I never heard of this before growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, I never heard of a family member and I'm pretty sure someone has suffered. And that silence bothered the freaking I, I'm not meant to swear, but, but whatever, the freaking <laughs> hell. Um keep it PG. Uh, and I then decided that if I needed to do something, I needed to ask more questions. I needed to run with questions and I needed to create safe spaces. And I needed to really understand something that no one in the Frickin region understands, mm. And as a kid, I knew we had the power that all those adults looking, I don't know, wearing blazers and tucks, whatever. I don't care about looks. I never judge for someone by their look because we as young kids have so much knowledge and curiosity and data that we're running with things and adults are chasing us and that's exactly what i what what i did mm-hmm. i ran yeah. with questions and i still am running today um, till this very day you know we were just talking about me being a jack the or head office having a really funny conversation with the CEO Mm -hmm. I'm I'm running I'm running and I'm so happy doing that and some people are like hey calm down whatever you know (laughs) high. that's my high. that's my high. I felt Mm. when I was so down and so miserable and and feeling that life was purposeless and like I asked myself one question what would life mean to me Mm. and that question was answered by me being the person I couldn't point a finger at it's very cliche, be the change you want to be, see in the world, whatever, like that, mm-hmm. that's what he said. Yeah, that's like all BS when you're like really struggling with a dark black cloud, always looming above your head for more than a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So tell that to someone and you will like, like frick off. You know what I mean? <laughs> but when you start thinking that you really, you could, how can I be that person? Okay, I started need to start brushing my teeth every day, showering. It starts very funny, and that's how I started. Mm, Showering. Right. Okay, I need to now make sure that I'm eating well. I need to make sure that I am uh, sleeping well, that I am uh, making sure that I drink enough water, that I'm taking care of myself. Mm, A lot of times you don't even we forget that self-care is something. So again, what what I'm meaning to say here, and I don't want to divert, is curiosity started by me asking myself, how the hell can I make sure that before I even start something and helping people out that I'm ins- that I'm insanely good. And today, I just like to say that while I'm doing all that I'm doing and it seems crazy to people, I actually have a personal trainer, I have a therapist whenever I need them, and I have a business coach and I have a mother I'm close to, and I have five extremely close friends wow. that, that 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 I could speak to about anything. And that support system is, always something that I made sure to build because I know that this road is so damn tough and anyone that wants to really go somewhere in life Hmm. will find a will find the road extremely lonely, extremely tough. And if you can find people like the people that I mentioned who can love you unconditionally, then you are, then you are there. It's just a matter of time.
1: Mm, mm. When you said, when you described your, your support systems, I was reminded of a quote. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Does that ring true for you? How do you digest that? And what are your opinions on that quote? Um,
0: it's funny because I live my life according to that quote. Mm. I refuse to be around people that uh, have uh, negative energy. And that doesn't mean that I refuse to be around people that are struggling Because not everyone that is struggling has negative energy. We all go through bad times. And unfortunately, people need to understand the difference between having bad energy and and struggling. Because that intimidates people when when typically we say that. I think that it's human to feel off. But it's Mm. not human to want to dump everything on someone next to you because you feel that, that, like they sh- you just don't you just don't respect the space you don't respect them and I f- and you feel good by just misery loves company right mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. closest thing I can say and I feel that it takes a certain level of emotional intelligence to understand that if I'm feeling if you're feeling bad if I'm feeling bad I won't lash at you but I'd mm-hmm. say hey I'm actually not good right now and uh if it if, 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 I'd really appreciate it if we talk in a little bit, or if you can give me a little bit of space. I'm really not feeling okay, and I, and I will be feeling okay. I just need my space right now, or um, I something just happened that really is making me furious. Uh, I, I, I just rather we keep an, a, a very low tone at the moment, because it will ease my emotional state internally. That's how to deploy emotional intelligence when you're furious inside, but you don't want to get it out on someone because, unfortunately, all the traumas, all the fights at homes, everything happens because we can't contain and we can't control ourselves. And, yes, this is more uh, of a leadership characteristic. But as I say, an empathy always wins in life and in business. Empathy. And that means for self. That sounds for self-empathy as well. Mm -hmm. When you are empathetic with yourself, you understand your emotions. And if you understand that you are feeling freaking furious or you're so anxious or whatever, you will take a step and care for yourself or take a step back and understand that you respect yourself. Mm -hmm. And part of honoring yourself, that energy is contagious when you're around people. And I feel that the people that I'm around really do get that. And we all are there for each other. In fact, we go above it first. We go above done. Being there, I had friends of mine that when my granddad died, they showed up at my doorstep bringing my favorite food, which, you know, I did not, I wasn't answering anybody for a week. And that's what I mean by having a sense of uh, a support system and being around people that you can call family because sometimes you don't choose family. You really don't. Sometimes my family members sometimes weren't the ones that I wanted to, hmm. but I choose friends I call my friends, family, and those are who lift me up.
1: Mm, mm yeah yeah thanks for sharing that Ali I you did mention that your your grandfather passed away I, I saw a YouTube video that you uploaded titled I got stabbed at 15 over my first love and I saw at the very end you dedicated that speech to your grandfather which was very moving and, and, and touching Thank you for. For sharing that. I wanted to talk about public speaking because I feel like you you excel at that and you're very good at it. Do you have any advice for people who are struggling with public speaking? And how would you rate yourself from a scale of 1 to 10 when it comes to public speaking? Um, I rate myself uh, as 8. I'm, I'm good. I'm not great. Um,
0: I need to really improve. Um, and by really improve, I mean like I do. I did take a course, and I just finished it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for the comment. That was at an event uh, in Toronto um, uh, where I shared the story of I did get stabbed at fifteen, uh, and that really caused the the, the self uh, the body image struggle that I sort of mentioned before mm-hmm. like, with gym and whatnot. Um, I was always I always grew up very self conscious about my body, and I think that it, just relating to your question, how could some people get better at public speaking? Put yourself out there, make yourself heard. If you're in class, sit sit in the front row, put your hand up,
2: hmm.
0: ask questions. It starts from having the guts and the courage. And, and then if I, if you were my friend, I'll tell you, have the balls to do that, man. <laughs> You're good. You're good. No question is a stupid question. Trust me, if you have a question, the likelihood that 20 people have that same question, but don't have the courage to put their hand up, be the person that has the courage. And, you know, I was that person at school. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that because I have 25% hearing loss, which, you know, I never probably shared out in public, Mm -hmm. I I always had to sit in front of a class. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, in school, I had extra time in exams because of that disorder uh, because of that this like permanent i was born like that um Mm -hmm. uh, so how do you become a better public speaker make sure to put yourself in leadership roles go to that student organization even if you hate what they're doing try to get involved because you need to have a voice you need to own your voice and when you're vocal Mm -hmm. about something say your opinion even if it's not well received make sure you Appreciate your voice. And that's my only. And of course, getting up on a stage and whatnot, that comes second because so many people do leadership, do public speaking trainings and whatnot, but they don't master the basic fundamentals that is sitting at the front and putting your hands up. And that's an analogy, actually. That's more so than anything.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, I, I asked that also because one of the primary reasons why I started this podcast, Ali, was also because I wanted to improve my public speaking with folks like you, conversing. So I think that's a very valuable lesson that you've uh, you've uh, shared with all of us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And one thing
0: I want to add is, like, I I really recommend everyone to have their own podcast. It, like, really Mm -hmm. doesn't cost much at all. And and, and I think that it's a great excuse to network with people. And, like, I hate the word network. Let's put it like that. Build meaningful connections with people that have Mm -hmm. the same interests as you. And if you're in a region whereby, like, even if you're in L.A. and and you have like a, I don't know, a wellness podcast or a mental health podcast, Mm -hmm. imagine you being like the master connector in between (laughs) therapists. And like when you bring out the best out of them and like harnessing your interview skills, just doing a little bit of digging behind them, Mm -hmm. you never know. You actually build a network and that is value and you get to practice your public speaking. You get to hear fascinating stories and you just get to little be a little bit curious because I think that um, in essence, we all want to be heard, loved and seen. Hmm. And I think that, again, you're spot on with that point and I wanted to add that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you, Ellie. I wanted to start closing out and ask you, Ali, I know you have dreams and aspirations and you're well on track to be the mental health ambassador, especially in the Middle East. But how do you define success in life? Let's say you've come, you you turn 80, 90, 100 years old and you look back at your life. How would you define success? What would you what would you be content with when you look back at your life? It's such an easy question to answer. Uh, that is that is the definition
0: that I define wealth with, and um, I define wealth with the state of inner, inner not peace but inner fulfillment. Um, you cannot be inner in in inner fulfilled from your inner heart if you're hungry, if you're if if you don't have meaningful connections, and if you didn't feel like you fulfilled your utmost potential. So what wealth means to me, I, I'm a sucker to, for for being a father you know right there as you can see in my office like kind of behind where, yeah. where i'm at right now this is my my vision board i always wake up and that's the first thing i ever like wake up and read yeah. i want to be the best father in the world i love my father um but i want to be the best father in the world and to me being successful means having a great Family, and I love Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart's an, a great um, example when I watch his Netflix series. Um, it's funny because I watched that with the same person that showed up on the doorstep when my granddad died and we binge-watched that. Mm. What success means to me is having a third component of your life. Mm-hmm. Whether with, if, if you go for money and if you go for power in leadership positions, that's good, but you have to do what Ariana Huffington says is a third component. Are you focusing on your thrive? On your focusing on your sense of wonder, your wellness, and your 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 lust for creativity, because that is what makes people quit executive leadership positions when they're forty, because they've they haven't they haven't fed their soul. In everything that I do, I cannot work with people. I can't call family. Mm. I simply can't. Mm. The, the I I can I I can I can be around people who aren't skillful but i can't be around people that aren't empathetic and aren't good human beings mm. you get what i mean yeah, so yeah. i think very important factor in in, in in being successful to me it's it's of course develop wealth for me is is all spiritual Uh, But what people don't understand, what really bothers me about this day and age is people think that doing good and being some sort of a non-for-profit means that you dedicate your life into some cause. You earn less than people that work on Wall Street and whatnot. So some of the smartest people in my life don't actually do good for a living. Yeah, they maybe donate to a charity or whatnot, but they don't make their life purpose-driven. And that is what my mission is, Ali Salama. I want to bring to the world. I want to bring to the world a message to tell people that you can be some of the wealthiest people in the world by doing good. Because until we send a message out to people, you will get paid just as much as you do good in the world. That message is going to change the world. Hmm. Not the message of making more money makes you wealthier. No, doing more good to people makes you wealthier. And if we start thinking of the world in that lens and that eye, God knows where we will be going in, the, in a future where a lot of people are scared. But I have utmost faith and, 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 and optimism with where we're going. Because us youth, we're not standing up for the BS that's happening up up in the corporate world. People like me are lose, are, are not succumbing to the jobs. People like me are, are like harnessing the power of their community, their micro-communities, using 10, 20 people, and they're each paying $20.00 you can have a part-time job and still live a decent quality life in North America. Back in the day, that was impossible. Hmm. So that that to me is what wealth is. And I know I took a little bit of a of a shift on that, but I want to make sure that everyone listening to the show understands that it's a mindset and it's not a dollar sum. Um, hmm. God knows what, yeah, I'll just leave it there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really good. Any advice for folks, students, people who are, interested to be where you are ali someone who wants to advocate mental health right now people who want to work in this field any advice for those folks that are aspiring to be someone like you ali um reach out to me on instagram i'm always i'm always always
0: answering people's dms i actually have no uh, like uh, no unread dms that's something that i make sure that every night do uh, that's something I, I get like 40 or 30 a day. Um, but, but, but actually like, let's take it a step back. I don't mean to be a self obnoxious prick here <laughs> and I don't, mean to be one. but Hey, I think if you want to be where I am going, because I'm not actually very like, yeah, I'm proud of where I am, but I don't think where I am is the end all and be all. Sure. I think the better way to rephrase sure. it, if you want to be on a, the same journey I am on, because I think that's the best way of like putting it into words mm-hmm. is to start thinking of how you can add value to other people's lives. I consider myself as a master connector. Whenever I see two people that could fit together, I create a WhatsApp group and I'm like, hey, guys, you should meet. And then I just leave the group. That's it. Mm-hmm. When you start adding value and like thinking of what people like yeah, 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 dude. It's it's simple. I can give you like a, a shit ton of tips, but <laughs> really, it's so simple, man. It's absolutely so simple. We don't think of the simple things that we can do at the tip of our fingers, but karma's karma's never not worked for me. Hmm. And imagine no. if I do this because I believe in good karma. Imagine if everyone believed in good karma. What world we live in? I mean, it's such an idealistic thought, but that is what I offer as advice. Give, 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 give. give. And, and really just watch the world uh, and, and give from your heart, mm. give really to something you care and believe in, because someday someone's going to show up in your life and you will not be able to imagine the amount of bounty and, and, and generosity that they will just shower you with, whether it's love, affection, whether it's a need that you have in your life. Things work magically, and I, I wish this was something that a, that is a fantasy, but this is reality, and it's been working for me. And I think that this is the way I I, I refuse to live my life, and uh, this is the way I, I will only live my life, and I refuse to live my life in any other way. But I think people, if you're young, start a group, start a Facebook page, start a Instagram page. Make sure you're not just posting; you're engaging, you're you're asking people, you're voice noting people, you're you're holding your phone like that. Clicking on that camera and getting your face into someone's DM in a video format. Why? Because don't let your self-negative thought of "I look bad on camera" get to the main message. That is, you are asking, you are standing right in front, some in front of someone that you could never have been in front of because they're ten thousand miles away, making a meaningful connection. I think that our egos and our negative self sort of that negative voice stops us from really. Becoming our best version. And that is what I would tell everybody. Go out there. And when you start thinking of what truly really makes your heart sore, mm. you forget about all the worldly like, like, oh, I look bad today or whatever because you simply don't give a fuck. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah. Wow. Ali, thank you so much. I, I learned so much. And I'm sure the audience says as well. I really appreciate your time.
0: No, it's, it's absolutely a pleasure. And again, feel free. I'll, I'll be sending my, 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 uh, my contact information to you if you'd like to put it in the show notes below. But on that note, I really appreciate you having me on the Curious Leadership Podcast. And I, I genuinely send all my prayers and wishes to everyone listening to this. And if you are going through a hard time, if you are s- s- struggling, or if you know someone that's struggling, the only last thing I want to say before we end the show is being there can some can sometimes actually save someone's life by just being there to listen. Mm. Don't try to solve people's problems. Just be there to listen. People are lonelier than ever, and all they need is someone that can just pat them on the back and just be silent with. That mm. is extremely powerful, and we sometimes neglect that.
2: Mm. But on
0: that note, I wish everyone a lovely, lovely day ahead or a lovely night, wherever they are in the world, And I'd love to connect with you. And please, please, please take care of yourself, guys.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Ali.